Good morning, everyone. What a fantastic uh, little testimony just to hear Helen's heart. It's always so special, so fitting with what we're going to talk to uh, today about uh, a family with deep friendships. So the, the first few weeks um, chatting about Discover Church, launching the new name, has been all very exciting and digging it into, into it a little bit. And um, we've spoken about loving people, loving God. We've spoken about a place of transformation. We've spoken last week about uh, church being gospel-centred. Uh, a healthy local church must be centred on the gospel. And today we're going to talk about being a family with deep friendships. Maybe we can just show those um, few sermons up there, um, the, the titles there. Uh, yeah, just the next one. That's the one. So today, number four, we're going to talk about a family with deep friendships. And um, the first three weeks have really just helped us with the big, the big, broad strokes of what it means to be a church. You know, everything about Christianity is built, in, built on love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That was the first week. The second part is another huge chunk of what it means to be a church. It's got to be about transformation. If we're coming to church and our hearts aren't transforming, then we're just doing religion. We're, just, we're a club. We're just doing stuff. So there must be transformation, and that's what we aim at. The gospel, the good news about Jesus, absolutely fundamental, big picture. But the next, so we're going to do four more weeks looking at this, and the next two weeks are going to be really about discipleship, and then the last two weeks are going to be really about evangelism, and they're two more broad strokes for any decent local church, discipleship and evangelism must be at the core of what we do. So today with a family built on friendships, built on community, built on connection, that's really the first, believe it or not, that's really the first step to growing as a Christian is actually got to be connected to people. It's very, very difficult to grow on your own. It's like a plant trying to grow without any good soil, no fertilizer, no water, no sun, just trying to grow on its own. And the same with a Christian or someone who's trying to follow Jesus. You can't grow without many different ingredients. And the first and important ingredient is to be well planted in a community uh, of people. So uh, as I say a lot around here, I grew up in the church and you might have as well. And uh, growing up in the church, you come to a church building a lot. Who's been around in church for a while? Who's spent a bunch of time in this actual building? I met my wife in this building. I like, did a bunch of stuff in this building. I got my children dedicated in this building, like in this crappy Greek hall that we rent. <laughs> so much of my spiritual life has happened. But it's not really about the building, is it? And that's what we're going to touch on today, but there's, build, there's beautiful church buildings. I got married in a beautiful church building up in the city that was Scott's church. It was built in 1856 or something, and I love religious architecture, the old uh, blue stones and uh, just fantastic buildings built 150 years ago. I love coming to church and you know, hearing awesome music. I love coming to church and it feels cool and there's a cool vibe and there's a friendly vibe and there's a nice atmosphere. I love all of these things that, that happen in the building. I love, like you probably love, when all the seats are filled and the attendance is high and all my mates are here and my mom and my dad and my kids and my best friend and this person and that person and it's full and it feels like something must be happening because a lot of people are here. I love when the building is full as well. But church isn't really about these kind of things, and we're going to see that today. Jesus said in Matthew 18 and no, Matthew 16 and verse 18, Matthew 16, 18, he said, I will build my church. That's what Jesus said. I will build my church. 
And the word that he used is a funny word called ekklesia, okay? That's the Greek word. We're going to do a bunch of funny words today, okay? So if you're taking notes, which I know you all are. Oh, that's when you get the awkward laughs. Oh, oh yes, I see some note-taking there. Ecclesia is a bit of a funny word. Jesus said, I will build my church, my ecclesia. And the word ecclesia means a called out community of people. So a bunch of people gathered together, I'm gonna build them up and build them into my church. Interestingly, Jesus only uses the word church twice and it's only in the gospel of Matthew. So Mark, Luke, John, they don't say that Jesus said church once and Matthew only says that Jesus said church twice. Although this has become a major word and a major part of Christianity. Is the church about a building, a location, a meeting, or is the church about people? The people is the congregation side, the ecclesia side. Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia. The church is actually a word that's taken from the German word Kirche. So that's that funny word there. So now you've got ecclesia and Kirche. We've got funny words happening today. And uh, it's actually a funny story because that is a, not a translation of the Bible. So when you read, I will build my church, that's what Jesus said, it's actually not what the original writer Matthew wrote in his Bible. And therefore, it's pretty unlikely that they were the actual words that came out of Jesus' mouth. You see, the church for 300 years after Jesus said, I will build my church, which he meant there'll be a bunch of people who are gonna follow Rabbi Jesus and be an apprentice of Jesus and live like him and look like him and live life like him and devote their life for him. That happened for 300 years. And these followers of Jesus of the way for the first three centuries, they were a minority in the Roman Empire. They were crazy. They were worshiping a God no one had heard of. They were living in a way that no one had heard of. The Roman Empire was about violence and power and strength and military victory. And then there was these Christians who picked up discarded babies and, and gave women the same standing as a man. Can you believe it? Unheard of things in the first century. They weren't people who went to a building with a cross on the front at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. That's not what they were for 300 years. They were the ecclesia. They were the called out people of God following Jesus. They weren't attenders of a church. Jesus didn't say, attend me. Jesus said, follow me. He didn't say, come attend my meeting. No, Jesus said, follow me, follow my lifestyle. I'm the rabbi, you're the apprentice. A very, very different understanding. So about the year 300 and, let me, I've got it in my notes here, 312, Constantine, the emperor of Rome, gets saved, becomes a Christian, becomes born again. And this is where everything changes. This small minority of people who are highly persecuted by the Roman Empire lived every day wondering, am I going to be thrown to the lions? Am I going to be nailed to a cross like Jesus? Every day they lived in fear of death. All of a sudden, Constantine the emperor becomes a Christian and now Christianity becomes the chosen religion of the Roman Empire. Now the Roman elite, the wealthy people, the majority are all Christians. The next thing they say is let's build some beautiful buildings now that we have money, 
We have all the government involved. We've got all the rich people involved. Let's really pump this thing up and get some beautiful gowns and clothes and some beautiful buildings and let's do some stuff. Let's make this into something really, really special. So they start building buildings. About the same time, a few decades later, Jerome writes his Bible called the Vulgate. Everyone say Vulgate. You know why it's called the Vulgate? Because it was in the vulgar language of the common people, which was Latin. This was written in Latin. That was the common vulgar language of the Roman Empire. And he writes his Bible, the Vulgate. And he comes to, I will build my ecclesia in the Greek. But he doesn't call it ecclesia, which would be assembly or congregation or gathering of people. He says, I'm going to put church in there. A Germanic word meaning house of God. Pagans used it. Christians used it. Jews that were writing in Latin used it. It was just a generic term for a place where people would go to worship a God, but it wasn't a translation of what Matthew wrote. It was a substitution put into the Bible that shouldn't really be there. So this stays like this for about mm, 1,000, 1,100, 1,200 years. No one thinks two things about it. We have the church. And over time, if you know anything about history, the church gets really big, super-duper powerful. Now you've got priests and cardinals and popes and you've got kings and queens and monarchies all across Europe and the Western world. The church is gone from a minority of people worried every day will I be thrown to the lions for my beliefs to this huge institution as big as a kingdom, as big as an empire, an empire of faith in its own right with extravagant buildings and money like you couldn't imagine and all kinds of titles and power and saints and all kinds of stuff. It's just a huge system, machine called the church. Right down, right down to the center, back, 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 back to the foundations is come follow me, is take up your cross daily and follow me is if you love your life, you'll lose it. If you lose your life, you'll love. All these crazy, sacrificial, love people, serve the world kind of statements are right down there, but they're layered with money and buildings and machinery and organisation and institutionalisation, all these kind of things, until the reformers come in the 16th century. Martin Luther, William Tyndale, these reformers come along to reform the church, to bring it back to its original. And this crazy guy named William Tyndale writes a new Bible in 1522. And he says things in his new Bible like, repent, rather than do penance. You see, the Vulgate had said, do penance in order to get yourself right with God. Tyndale said, no, nah, that's an inaccurate translation. It should be repent. Another controversial thing that he says is, I will build my assembly. So he translates ecclesia as assembly or congregation rather than as kirke, which had been done for 1,200 years, the church. They strangled William Tyndale and once he was dead, they burnt his body at the stake. 
for translating the Bible in a way that challenged the established church. He was killed as a heretic for daring to say that the church is not a beautiful architecture, the church is not the people that are in power, the church is not the buildings and the meetings and the rituals. He died, burnt at the stake, for saying the church is the people. The church is the family of God. The church is the relationships that we have with one another. The church has nothing to do with hierarchy. The church has everything to do with circular gathering, singing together, worshiping together, helping each other follow Jesus. He died at the stake for that. And that's the great challenge for us. And that's the great challenge for us as Discover Church as we're launching into this. Are we a building, a kirke, or are we a people? Are we an organization or are we an organism, an organic grassroots movement of people? You see, if we're a building, then you attend, but that's not really the church. If I'm producing a sermon and we're producing some music and we're producing some youth group and some ministries and things like that, then you're a consumer. You're not a follower of Jesus. If it's all about being a member of the church, do I have my slip of membership, then this is just an institution. Yeah, I'm a member of the footy club. I'm a member of this, I'm a member of that, I'm a member of my church. What does that mean? It's just a piece of paper. If this is a meeting, if church is just a meeting once a week where you have to come to a centralized location in order to do church, then this is just a religion. It's just a have to, it's just a should do, it's just I should show up, I should show face. People will worry if I'm not there, if I'm really a proper Christian or not. If this is something we're selling, then, well, you can vote with your feet. You come, you buy, you consume. But if the Sunday's not right, if the pastor doesn't say the right thing, if the musician doesn't hit the right chord or the right riff or whatever that just gives you that feeling of God is in your heart and you're full of the Holy Ghost, if there's not that prophetic moment that you're like, oh, the heavens really open and God really touched me, then, well, just go consume church elsewhere with something that makes me feel better or makes, has a nicer vibe or has a nicer architecture or has a more friendly time when the church has their meetings or has a youth group or a kids ministry that fits in with my lifestyle or whatever, that's when church just becomes a building, just becomes an institution. It just becomes another club in the community, another charity uh, in the community. But this is not what, pe- what God has called us to. He's called us to be a people. Amen. A common question that I get as a pastor and I've been a pastor now for 15 years, senior pastor for 10 years, a common question I get when people are struggling is where do I fit? I don't feel like I belong anymore, Pastor Caleb. You know, where's my place? And that usually comes very quickly with, I don't feel right anymore. I don't feel the feelings I used to have in this church. I don't get the vibes, like it's not like it used to be. Now, if you feel any of that kind of stuff and you're, it's your first time here today at church, or maybe you just come this year and you're getting to know us, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. Because you still got to work things out and feelings are important and, you know, hospitality is important and how you kids go out there is really important if you're just getting to know us. That's fine. You know, like Lumiere says in Beauty and the Beast, be our guest. Be our guest. Put our service to the test. That's fine. 
That's where you're at. That's totally fine. But if you've been here for a while and you feel like you're connected and you feel like you're doing life with us, then it's a very different story. Now, I'm not downplaying that some people struggle. Some people go through deserts, burnouts. Some people lose their mojo with their church family. After 20 years, things can get a bit dry. And, and I appreciate that as well. So I'm not trying to correct you or tell you you shouldn't feel like those things. I'm just trying to help you understand what it's like for me as a pastor. You get a lot of like, do I belong here? But it's the wrong question. It's the wrong view. It's the wrong approach. You see, as I was saying to you last week, we get, remember, we're getting fed 24-7. Our Western culture, our Aussie culture, we're getting fed all the time, everything. You jump on the internet, it's constant ads, consume, feel good, get what you want, follow who you want, follow the brands you want, follow the people who say the things you want to hear. It's very, very difficult. And then we come into church, we come into Jesus, and he says, lose your life. Pick up your cross. Follow me. And it's very, very different. We live one way for 167 hours a week, and then we come in here for one hour a week, and we might hear, if our listening ears are on for the day, we might hear God say something very different to the lifestyles that we're all living. It's the wrong question. Do I belong? Because really, you're asking, is this the place I should attend or not? Is there going to be the feelings? Is there going to be the benefits? Is there going to be the payoffs for my investment of time and energy and money and blah, blah, blah? A better question is, how do I participate with the people of God? That's a better question. Because belonging follows participation. Feelings follow connection. Involvement in a community of people follows a healthy connection, participation, involvement, engagement with the local church. And I'm not saying this is an easy thing by any means. We all have our funny, awkward social things. We all have our different beliefs about God. We all get thrown into a church together. And we've got to work out this mess together. I'm not saying this is an easy thing by any means. But this is the first step of growing. The first step of growing, and I know some of you are going to hate me for this. I'm sorry. It's not me. It's God. It's the Bible. The first step of growing is you've got to be connected to other human beings. I know it sucks. It's like, oh, really? Really? I love God. He's so good and nice, and it seems to work out. Plus, I can't really blame him because he's God. But really, people, like normal people, Jesus says the church twice. It's only recorded in the book of Matthew we interpreted that for 1,200 years as a building, a place, a location, a meeting, something you come and do or have or consume or get or follow some brand, this theological brand, that theological brand. The New Testament is actually full of very different language. It's full of family, connection, confess your sins to one another, walk together, people of God, a body. Remember 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12? You are a body. The foot, the toe, the hand, you're in it together. Do you, anything about that says isolation, consume, do what you want, have your own version? No, no, no. A body means we are connected. Whether you like it or not, you got me. You're stuck with me. I'm sorry, but I'm stuck with you too. So it goes both ways because that's the language of the New Testament. It's about participation, it's about engagement, it's about involvement, it's about together, it's about family, it's about friendships, it's about learning to love each other, learning to get on, learning to speak the truth in love, learning to be vulnerable and even share our sins with each other. 
being a church of deep friendships, being a church where we participate, not a building that we attend, is the first step to spiritual growth, to discipleship. Spiritual growth and reaching the unchurched, so discipleship and evangelism, are the two great people-orientated purposes of a local church. Today I want to talk with you about four different things, and we're going to scoot through these quickly in the next 15 minutes, and then I want to give you a chance at the, uh, at the end of the service just to spend some time with God and maybe pray for each other, even next door to each other, uh, pray with somebody sitting near, so I'm warning you early, okay, so no one freaks out. Pastor Pete's going to watch the door there if anyone tries to run away, but... The word, the word that the New Testament uses, and this is my last funny word, okay? You've had ecclesia, you've had kirke, now I'm going to give you koinonia, all right? Koinonia, and we don't, if you're new today or you're watching for the first time, we don't do a lot of Greek stuff here, but uh, for some reason the Holy Spirit's led me to a whole bunch of Greek words this week. Koinonia is a word that means partnership in the New Testament. It's a very common word in the New Testament. You can just put up the, um, do we have the little picture there? Just the little diagram, little flow chart. Koinonia means partnership with God, and that's right in the center there. This is what it means to be the people of God, not just a church, to be the family of God. It means to be partners. So everyone sitting here this morning, if you're connected to this church at all and you want to keep journeying with us and following Jesus, then the question is, are you an attender or you're a partner? Very, very different. And if you're new and you're attending, fine. If you're getting used to things, that's fine. Just attend, check it out, have a look. I have no problems with that. But partnership's different. There is a bit of a line that we cross. There is a level of commitment there. Not because I demand it, but because God demands it for those people who want to grow. If you don't want to grow, then of course you don't want to be connected because then it gets super uncomfortable because people are growing next to you and you feel like you're comparing yourself to them and it's awkward and then people sometimes try to cross the line with you and help you grow in your walk with God and then you just get super offended because who are you to tell me what to do? But, but once you're connected and we're partners together and we're in it together, then the, the dynamics of church life totally changes. Because if you're a partner in the body of Christ and you're walking with Jesus and I'm walking with Jesus, we're doing it together, then we invite truth in love. We invite confess our sins to one another. We invite community and say no. Part of being a Christian is saying a strong no to isolation. I cannot be the hand in the body of Christ and be chopped off over there. This is what we invite. This is what partnership means. And this is the language of the New Testament. Koinonia means fellowship. It means participation. It means friendship. It means commonality, it means teamwork, it means sharing one with another. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 1.9 when he says, God has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ. The very idea of being a Christian is partnering with God. How much more so will his church be about partnership? In Acts 2.42, when we hear about the new church, the new people of God, at the day of Pentecost, they are gathering together. Every day they're together in the temple courts. They're breaking bread together in each other's homes. They're doing life together. They're talking through things together. They're eating. They're drinking together. They have everything in common, Acts 2.47 says. When somebody needed money, someone would sell something and give that person money. They made sure everyone was looked after. 
the true essence of community. No one living for their, their own paycheck, their own big house that they want to buy. No thinking of, well, how can I use my gifts or my resources or my energy to serve a brother, serve a sister. They're a tight-knit community, a movement of people, a grassroots movement of people, a minority in the Roman Empire following Jesus. This was the I will build my ecclesia that Jesus talked about. In the book of Philemon, Paul appeals to Philemon and says to him, can we please koinonia in the gospel? Can we please partner together in the gospel? That was the great that's the great appeal. That's the appeal to you. That's the appeal to me. It's the appeal to one another. Can we partner together in the gospel? Paul again uses the word koinonia in 2 Corinthians 8, 2, where he says, for as I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, so this is about financial giving, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing, so koinonia, of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. So he's talking about the church in Philippi, this group of people that live in the city of Philippi, they wanted to give money to the people living in Macedonia, and they were so generous. They don't have much, but they were super generous, and they wanted to give, and they wanted to sow, because that is koinonia, that is partnership. We're all in it together. So it affects us in four different ways. We participate in the church family. That's the first step of koinonia. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks, a participation, koinonia, in the blood of Christ, and is not the bread that we break, a participation, koinonia, in the body of Christ. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. So this here is a great scripture that brings together the two critical elements of love God and love others. The first is the participation in the blood of Christ. Everyone say participation in the blood of Christ. Can we participate in following Pastor Caleb together? Everyone say participation in the body of Christ. So if you're sitting here today, you're watching and you're not sure if you want to follow Jesus, then the first question you've got to answer is, do you want to participate in the blood of Christ? I know that sounds really disgusting, the blood of Christ, but it's metaphorical of Jesus shedding his blood on the cross. That's the first step. Do I want to be a partner with Jesus in the crucifixion, in where he came, he gave his life, we are saved because of his work on the cross? If that's a yes... Then the second question becomes, do you want to participate in the family of God, with the people of God? This is the piece around participating in the body of Christ. You see, the head of the church is not the Pope. The head of this church is not Pastor Caleb. The head of the church is not, you know, the the, the YouTuber who's got the most views online, the most... Uh, evangelistic telemarketer from America who everyone loves to watch. No, the head of the church is Christ. There is no human head of the church. We're the body together, partnering together, but our first partnership is with the head, Christ, and our second partnership is with the foot, the leg, the knee, the body of Christ, which is the people of God, the household of God. That's why we use the language, or the New Testament uses the language of family a lot. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus says to us, you should pray 
our Father who is in heaven. Paul constantly talks about the household of God, the family of God, and he even calls, like I referenced before, the letter of Phi- to Philemon, he references Onesimus, which is the runaway slave he's talking about in that story, as his son. Now, that's not his biological son, but there's a relationship, a friendship, a mentorship connection that it's like a father and a son. It's that intimate. Jesus says that we are his brothers, that we are co-laborers together with Jesus. Can you imagine the Son of God sees you as a brother? When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we become the sons and daughters of God, just like Jesus is the Son of God. So from that, we must understand that church and community is more family than institution. It's more friendship than attendance. The second part to this is that we build deep friendships. Let's just go uh, to the next one. Sorry, we'll skip that. Just the next diagram. Yeah, so we build deep friendship together. They devoted themselves, it says in Acts 2.42, to the apostles' teaching and a fellowship, koinonia, deep friendships. Friendships in the church must be authentic, must be deep, must be removing of walls. Out there in the world, yeah, hate someone, get offended, get annoyed, put your walls up, you've been through bad stuff, you got hurt as a child, you've been betrayed before, yeah, for sure, no one would excuse you. But when we come to Jesus, Jesus is all about transforming our heart, dealing with our pain, healing our wounds. So within the family of God, that results in deep friendships. We can actually pull down those walls and start to be the people of God. Churches that are successful in transforming lives create relational space intentionally. It's much more than a friendly vibe. I can stand up here and preach and say stuff and say, hey, we're super friendly and hey, we love you and hey, you're welcome here. And that's all great. We've all heard that before and everyone says that. And your favorite Instagram star says that every video you watch, hey, out there, I love you and you're fantastic. Oh, really? Well, I'm one of five million followers and they know me and they love me. Yeah, you get lied to all the time about how much you love. You know, the NAB Bank loves you as well. It's not about money, it's about people, the NAB Bank. Yeah, right, okay, (laughs) whatever. Great marketing slogan, but not buying into that one, okay? But when we stand as the people of God and say, we love you, I love you, God loves you, this must be authentic. It's not saying I'll be perfect towards you. It's not saying that a Christian brother will never do the wrong thing by you because we're still human. But our intentions to love must be authentic. Our efforts towards one another must be honest. Because without that, we just become hypocritical. The third area that really makes us partners in the gospel, partners together, is the practical element of sharing and caring. The only way that you know that the authentic, that the relationships you have in the church are authentic is by actually seeing practical demonstration of that. If there's no walking and talking and there's only talking, then that's hypocrisy. The talking must be followed by walking and the walking must be backed by talking. The two have to go together, amen? Sharing and caring means that the church becomes a sanctuary. It becomes a safe place. It becomes a place where the people that are hurting 
can get healed. Because who knows that every Sunday you come here, somebody next to you is bleeding in their heart. Somebody next to you has had the worst week of their life. They don't need a sermon correcting them. They don't need a worship leader saying, lift your hands high, I jump harder, sweat more as we worship. Some people come on a Sunday and they just need a hug, they need a friend. But most of the time you wouldn't even know that person next to you is bleeding, that person next to you might never come to church again. This happens all the time in churches. They may never come to church again. They might not come next week. They may fall away from Jesus. They may never read their Bible again, but today they're sitting next to you in church. Tomorrow they could throw it all away. It happens all the time, doesn't it? We've all had friends who were there one day, gone the next, faith out the window, it's over. So if we're concerned with the building, the meeting, the institution, the budget, if those things concern us more than the people, we're in trouble. Because people need a place to heal. People need a place that's safe. People need a place to come. I get so wrapped when people sit down with me as a pastor and they just share sin. They just share really ugly, disgusting, difficult sin. Because where can you share stuff like that? (laughs) Where do you get stuff off your chest? There's not many places in the world, but if anything, the church should be a safe place to say, I really stuffed up. I'm really, I am not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not moral enough. If there's any place, it should be the church. No one should be able to out-community the community of God. You shouldn't feel safer at your local sporting club. You shouldn't feel safer at your workplace. You shouldn't feel like you've got more opportunity out there than you've got in here. This must be the place. And I'm not saying we can just make this happen through our own strength. This has got to be God working in our hearts, got to be the Holy Ghost filling our filling Discover Church. But this must be the greatest community that any human being could be involved in. If we're not trying to head to that as a local church, or if any local church out there is not trying to head to the place where they're the greatest community on the face of the earth, then we're in trouble. Because if God is in our midst, this must be the greatest place to be, to heal, to grow, to be loved, to be encouraged, and to be sent out there into all the world. Finally, we participate in church life together. And this is really the main thing I wanted to bring us to today. And this is going to get very practical, okay? And I'm not saying, I know we're all a little bit sensitive in 2022, so please hear my heart in this. I'm not here today trying to get people in life groups or trying to advocate that people get on a roster at church. I'm not trying to do any of that kind of stuff. Just being honest with you that as Discover Church, the way that we measure participation is through four things. Engagement in a life group, involvement in a team, the worship team, the service team, the kids ministry team, the youth group team, whatever. Giving generously, so that means tithing, if you've been around church for a while, that's what we mean by tithing. That means money. Yes, I'm talking about money. And fourthly, inviting friends. Now, it's interesting because these four things is what God has been doing in our hearts over the last three or four years. We've been thinking about it, been talking about it, we've been praying about it. It's not four things that we've had there in the past as a church, but it's been something that God's been doing in our church. 
But these four things aren't easy. These four things are a challenge. These four things can be uncomfortable. These four things, and I'm sure lots of you have got little excuses, reasons, justifications, responses, arguments back to Pastor Caleb right now going on in your head. So let me explain. Give me five minutes to explain. If we measure success as a church by attendance, then none of that stuff matters. If we measure success as a church by funding we have, sponsorship we have, a budget we have, then none of that really matters. If we measure success as a church by the beauty of our buildings or by the beauty of our carpet, which we obviously don't do that because our carpet's horrendous, by the coolness of the people on the stage or the awesomeness of the pastors or the, you know, the, the, the appeal of the young adults in the church. If we measure our church by these kinds of things, then you know, it's very subjective. Who gets to say we're successful? Who gets to say we're really following Jesus? Who gets to say that we're being a healthy, God-orientated church? So the four things that we've come up with for Discover Church are all to do with participation. They're all to do with involvement. They're not to do with anyone's dress sense. They're not to do with anyone's ability to play, play guitar. They're not to do with how much of the Bible you can quote. They're not to do with how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter. They've got to do with participation. When you're engaged in a small group, and you might be in one, you might have been in one before, a small group brings you to a place where you have the opportunity to share your life. Being in a small group isn't something that we have as a church as a ministry. We're not a, a, a church that has small, a small group ministry. We are a church of small groups. I do not look all of this year, all of last year even, I have not really looked or paid any attention to how many people come on a Sunday morning. Do we count how many people are here on a Sunday? Yeah, we do. I don't care. I care who is engaged in a life group because I know if someone's in a small group of five blokes or five girls or a few couples or a couple of other young adults, I know if people are in there building friendships, talking about God, praying together, crying with each other through the hard times, I know that that is gonna give people the best opportunity of growing into a mature Christian and becoming more like Jesus. Because you sit there and listen to me preach on a Sunday, do I go home thinking, fantastic, everyone's growing because they listen well? Not at all. I would walk out of this building and I have no idea what's happening in your heart I have no idea if you thought the message was good. I have no idea if God used it to speak to you. I wouldn't have a clue. So I put very, very little measurement of success on the sermon, the listening, the worship, the response, whatever. Whereas a church, we put a lot of meaning on our people actually connecting and building friendships and following Jesus together. That is gonna bring people to transformation. And the second one is very similar to it. Are people involved in a team? Because when you're involved in a team, you have to be connected to get a job done. You have to be connected and get to know each other in order to help with the life of the church. 
If this is just a kirke that we attend, a location that we come to, if, if we relaunch Discover Church and it's like, yeah, just come and just bring a friend. Let's get as many people in the building and let's make it feel awesome and have an awesome, friendly vibe. Then we're just another business, just trying to build some followers, just trying to build the brand, just trying to get some customers. And then when it comes to teams, it becomes, can you help? Do you mind, you know, struggling here? Oh, we need some hands. Can you give us a hand? You're just helping because you're a nice person. Is that discipleship? Is that spiritual growth? Is that gonna push you into the place of prayer? No, 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 no. But when we engage together on teams and we're like, hey, you're my partner, hey, you're my partner. Let's make this team awesome. Let's make this ministry work. Let's get up here on a Sunday as a band and let's bring glory to the living God. Let's be a great team together. That totally changes the way that we do church. It becomes about people. It becomes about community. It's similar with giving. Giving is a way of participating. Jesus said, again, to quote him, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Where your money is, that's where your heart is. You know, it's funny because these four things, being in a life group, being in a team, giving generous, inviting friends, they tend to be the four things that go in reverse order when somebody is struggling with their faith. The last thing anyone does if they're struggling with their faith is invite a friend to church. Money goes really quickly because that's where your heart is and if your heart's not here anymore, long before people's bodies leave the building, their finances leave the tithing bucket. And then nobody's gonna be in a team or going to a life group and connecting with people if they're not even sure if they wanna follow Jesus. So that tends to be the thing that goes. The last thing to go is attendance on a Sunday morning. That's why someone can be here today and then by next Sunday they may not even be a Christian anymore because the last thing that goes tends to be the attendance at the church building. The money goes a long time ago, the relationships goes a long time ago. People that are struggling with religion, people that are struggling with spiritual pride, people that are struggling just with the form of Christianity, they really struggle too with the life group and the team stuff because they're people-orientated pieces of doing church community together. So when you're judging God and you're judging the Bible and you're judging the sermon and you're judging the way that church worships down the road, guess what doesn't come out of you? Love for your neighbour, you know, patience with people that are going through a difficult time, cooking a meal and taking it over to someone who's struggling. That doesn't happen to the people that know everything about God and know everything about the Bible. It doesn't just outwork magically in I'm just gonna love people and I'm just gonna be patient and I'm just gonna pay the price for my friend. No, uh, uh, it doesn't happen because they know everything about God and know everything about worship and know how a church should run and know what we should be preaching and know what the latest thing that the Holy Ghost is doing. He always gives it away. The fruit of relationships always gives away what's going in our hearts. And finally, the final key to engaging and involving in a local church is inviting friends. Come to my church. Come to my life group. Come to my house and have dinner. They're the three things of hospitality and invitation. 53% of people who attend a church that's transforming lives, this is a huge study that was done in America a few years ago, said that there is a culture of inviting at our church where people are constantly invited by others to get connected on a deeper level. Don't bring people to hear me preach, please. 
Bring people because you wanna build a relationship with them. Don't ask people to come over to your house for dinner because you're a good Christian that's trying to do some evangelism. We're just back to works and religion and systems. And Bring people to your table because you genuinely wanna love them and bless them with food and give them your time and build a deep relationship with them.